0: when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out, John o White. Or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I have coached leader after leader after leader and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult. And, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Terry Sweeney. Terry is the CEO of the Digital Health Cooperative Research Centre based in Adelaide here in Australia, where I'm based. I'm, I'm based up in Brisbane, and uh, it's, it's going to be great to have a chat today about all things leadership. Terry, welcome to the podcast.
1: Jonah, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm excited to, uh, to sit down and have a chat with you.
0: Well, first of all, it'd be great for for you to uh, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, and also for those who aren't, you know, in, in your industry, um, tell us a bit about the Digital Health Cooperative Research Centre as well.
1: Thanks, Jono. Um So my current role, I'm, I'm the CEO of uh, the Digital Health Research Centre. We're, we're actually the largest digital health collaborative in, in the world. Um, we get a lot of our funding from the Federal Department of Industry, Innovation and Science. And then the rest of our funding comes from our 74 partners. We, we have universities, industry partners, and all of the state-based health systems and the Federal Department of Health or all, all, all partners as well. And, and Jono, we, we tend to kind of just get problems to solve, right? So um, it's usually a healthcare provider will come to us with uh, with a problem that they're struggling with. Um, and uh, we look at how digital technology might be able to help solve that problem or, or create an, an, an opportunity. Um, and we have, uh, we have offices in Sydney, Melbourne, and, and Adelaide. And, and I guess our superpower is um, we don't necessarily solve the problem ourselves, but we bring in the expertise from the ecosystem, um, a little bit kind of you know, like putting a jigsaw puzzle together, and we bring all of that expertise together that solves that problem. But we do it in a way that we can then potentially scale uh, and commercialize that that solution or that value that we've created. Um, So another big part of what we do is uh, supporting Australia's digital economy through healthcare innovation. So Mm. a big responsibility for um, creating jobs, attracting global talent into Australia um, and and, um, developing and stimulating the economy.
0: Well, I think what you're doing is fascinating. Um, obviously, it's incredibly important, but also I uh, I always find, uh, I, I guess, when you've got an, an area where getting things right is so important and, you know, what's more important than healthcare, but you're also, you have to be innovating um, and, and embracing things that are cutting edge. But other industries you can get away with, you um, you know, making mistakes here and there. But the thing I find most interesting about what you're doing, I guess, is that you're, you're really serving, you know, those stakeholders with their, with their issues, knowing that, you know, when, if we, if we get things wrong in in that industry, it can cost uh, people's lives. So getting things right, isn't just important. It's actually life and death, which I think is uh, an amazing uh, and important mission. Thanks, Jono.
1: Yeah, it's it's it, it is interesting. We we are um, everyone likes to think they're special and, and, and everyone is special, but um we, we think we have that additional uh, responsibility um to, to get things to get things right or actually to get things wrong and failure as we all know can be can yeah. be a good and a positive thing and, and lead lead to breakthroughs, but how can we innovate and test and, and fail? Um, in the context of healthcare, but do it in a way that's not putting people's lives at risk. So that's, that's an ele- another big part of what we uh, look at. And you mentioned there, John, about other industries. And I think, I think we've actually got a lot to learn in healthcare from other industries as well, um, particularly around the consumer experience where um, we're probably lagging behind in health right now. If you mm. think about the last appointment you had at your GP or the last Appointment you had it in, in 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 a hospital setting, it may not as not be as um, as uh, streamlined or as um, as a positive experience as it would be, you know, watching a movie on Netflix or buying yeah. a new pair of shoes on Amazon.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting, Terry. I'm I'm excited to chat about this actually because um, I I I think the the tension in in everything you've just unpacked is is. Uh, really challenging for, for you and for leaders in your sector. So I'm keen to really learn from you and and, and have a chat. First, um, tell us a bit about a day in the life of Terry. You know, what does it look like to be CEO of, of an organization like yours right now and, and anything else you want to share around your personal life? What does a day in the life of Terry look like?
1: I kind of have attention deficit disorder, Jono, and, and I always have since being, being a kid. <laughs> um, so I think... For me, it's always been important in what I do for work uh, that allows for that um, uh, characteristic uh, of, of, of who I am um, and, and, and I think you know, what I'm doing right now kind of does, does align pretty, pretty well with that so I guess what it means is that there, there are no two days that are the, that are the same. I've been in this role now for just just a little over one year and I don't think I've got two days that are even close to being uh similar so that that's I think that's fantastic from a a growth and an energy and a, and a motivation point of view but to to give you a kind of a bit of a flavor of, of some of the things that, that I get involved in yeah, here at the CRC and, and with our partners in, in, in the industry um you know where where we we've got about 35 projects in flight at the moment, and then we have a, a job to make sure that they're all successful. So, you know, um, checking in on the project teams, uh, making sure that we're ticking along nicely and, and what we're doing. Um, you know, I was at a meeting this morning uh, locally here in South Australia um, on a project that we're doing to develop algorithms to pre- prevent harm to patients in an emergency department. Based on the way um, staff are rostered on, um, and and how staff are allocated to uh, individual patients, um, so mm. using artificial intelligence and machine learning for that that kind of matchmaking is, is really really uh, interesting. So checking in on, on that and making sure that's going well, and a bit of troubleshooting, uh, as an as and when required. Um, Uh, Yesterday, I was called in to to give some advice to the federal government on on COVID response, particularly from a a digital point of view. Um, And then uh, this afternoon, I'm speaking with one of the state governments um, about uh, a partnership to open an innovation uh, centre. Uh, to look at the commercialization of digital health and, and, and health innovation and, and creating an industry around that and what that might look at uh, and building the business case for that so a lot of a lot of different uh, things a big part of what I do is is just getting out there understanding what those problems are that people have looking for opportunities that might be a win-win between um, a bunch of our different partners that we can bring together and, yeah. and, and hopefully will be a win for us as well uh, as an organization. So a lot of kind of stakeholder management and, and really understanding what's making the front line of, of healthcare uh, tick.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing. That's uh, that's <laughs> really interesting insight into what you do. Um, let's, let's chat a bit about your story. So as you look back, you know, even as far as your childhood, um, I'd love for you to share some of some of the moments along the way that really, I guess, led to you becoming the leader and the person you are today, Terry.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's, it's an interesting one. I, um, I someone when I was really young um, <laughs> said to me, uh, you know don't don't forget when when aliens come down to Earth from another planet and the the, the door to the spaceship opens and this this little alien kind of walks out and, and, and has that first human contact um they they're not gonna say take me to your manager um and and, and that's something that's really kind of <laughs> stuck with me in terms of you know the difference between leadership and, 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 and management, and they are quite different and separate and, and, and not mutually exclusive. People can have abilities in, in both, but there's definitely a difference there. So I, I think I think for me, you know, that, that, that little kind of funny comment also backed up by just working under some extremely interesting um, uh, and inspirational leaders has always given me a little bit of a, an emphasis to 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 become one myself I'm, I'm not saying i am but um i'm giving it a good a good go and um uh, yeah that, 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 that ability to um get people on board with 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 what you're trying to do um get them bought into to, to to the to the mission but not doing it because they have to you know you work for me i want you to do this and therefore you're going to do it but but really kind of learning the ability of uh, or the skill of influence and and you know um getting people to do it because they want to do it and they may not agree with your decision or where you want to go but they're, they're bought into you and they're willing to to give it a go because of because they want to follow you so I, i've i've been on the on the receiving end of that with some amazing leaders um, as a as a youngster, um, and that's really the thing that's inspired me to 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 want to do that, and, and to get others bought in, mm. and, 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 and to follow and, and to do some to do some good things.
0: Yeah, that's so. When you were when you were young, do you remember? Uh, I always love hearing from leaders when they sort of realised their own. Uh, I guess sometimes it's a a feeling that there's a bit of a gift to actually influence people. And other times it's an awareness of this is something I might actually really want to do. Um, or even, even sometimes it's a bit of a, I don't really want to have influence, but I want to make a difference. And to do that, I'm going to have to any stories that come to mind from your childhood or as a teenager.
1: Yeah, I, I was I was involved heavily in in, in sports, John, when I was um, in and around starting university. Um, so I was fortunate enough to compete in a couple of Commonwealth Games uh, representing England in 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 cycling. Um, and um, I uh, being in the British Cycling Talent Program from from a, a pretty a pretty young age, I, I was exposed to, to some really interesting um performance uh, coaches you know motivational coaches to really try and get the best out of you in a sport that can be absolutely grueling and there's no question that competitive cycling is is a mind game and it's 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 more about mental toughness than, than physical toughness and you know your mind will, if your mind gives up before your legs, then then, then you're, in, you're in trouble. You, you have this ability, I think, in, in elite sports that your body is saying, please just sit down and have a rest. But, um, <laughs> but your mind gets that extra 5 or 10% that, 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 that you need. So I think for me, I learned quite early on that, that mental toughness um, mm. Which I think translates into the into the business world. You know that that ability to um, to sometimes be single minded. Um, mm. You know, have, have the eye on on, on the goal um, and, and 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 get there. The ability to cut out some of that noise and maybe some of the activity or effort that that just isn't really critical to it to achieving what you what you want to achieve. Um, and, and having the mental toughness to to get there. And, and often. Because cycling, not not everyone realizes that cycling is actually a team sport. You know, every, every rider in the team has their own role. And um, if the team leader wins a stage or a race, then that's a win for the entire team because someone else has probably killed himself on a mountain for the other guy or girl to to come to come in behind and and actually cross the cross the line first so it's very much a team a a team sport so the ability to do that and then and then pull others along uh with you i i think very early on um although i didn't realize it at the time i think that probably gave me a lot of the uh the skills and the framework to uh to translate that into you know what what i'm doing now
0: yeah that's so. thank you for sharing that um I, I can't help but ask being a sports um, uh, fanatic you know we had the Commonwealth Games up here on the Gold Coast a couple of years ago a, a few years ago and um, yes, yes. and uh, my wife Liz and I one of the one of the events we actually went to which was open for anyone to go to is we went and, and watched the uh, the cycling the road the road uh, cycling race which was down at um, on the Gold Coast and uh, yeah it was it was incredible. From your time competing at the Commonwealth Games, were there any stories that come to mind that were really, um, I guess, shaped shaped you from those? I can imagine they would be pretty significant life life events to be going and competing there. But then, you know, it'd be interesting to hear you, whether you'd think that and whether there were any moments that really stood out and have, and have really shaped you becoming who you are today.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think I think one of the things, one of the bigger things I took out of it, Jono, was the um, uh, you, you, you don't always have to be first and you don't have to always win um, to, to achieve what you want to achieve in life and, and to feel good about the world. I think I, I was, you know, in, in one respect, you know, being able to represent my, my country and, and, and get involved in. You know at a very elite level with with con games and, and did some professional um road racing uh, in, in and around it particularly in, in europe and the us in, in in one respect that's you know that's a fantastic achievement but you know from another point of view i didn't win anything <laughs> some people think i'm still i'm still cycling after the uh, the 94 uh, commonwealth games in in vancouver um and um you know i, I think that that success and, and, and achievement um means different things to different people and is, mm. and is, and is very very uh, personal so i think as someone who was a bit of a journeyman cyclist who was you know not the best not the worst uh, did a job a solid job for the team probably mm. was not actually going to win anything i think for me i, I le- again i learned quite quickly in that environment that um with winning does not always equal success coming first does not always equal success and success can come in different shapes and forms and if you make a small contribution to a team that goes on to be successful then then that in itself you know can can be can be enough and, and again i think that that does translate to um, to what i've done in the more kind of corporate uh, in, environment that you've mm. you know learn learn where, learn your place in the team, and, and, and even as, a, as a, a senior leader and a CEO of an organisation, I am a member of, of a team. Um, you know, le- learn your place in that team. Uh, learn how you can contribute to the team to make to make make them tick and to make your organisation uh, successful. And, and control what you can control, because there's a lot of external things out there that. No matter what you, you do, um, you're not going to have control over that. And I see a lot of people killing themselves trying to get that control or turn mm. things around. And you know, sometimes that's not just just not going to happen. But if you do your bit and everyone else in the team does their bit, you've got every chance of being uh, of being successful. So I guess that was probably another another key takeaway from that um, that sport spawning environment.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. That's, um, that's, that's really fascinating. I appreciate you sharing that. What about your time now um, as a, as a leader in, in, uh, you know, I guess in, in more sort of a corporate and, and, uh, and business and and healthcare settings Um, for you, are there any moments that really stand out that have been pivotal for you as a leader, where you saw another leader who you admire handle something in a way that that you've never forgotten, or um, you you know we all have those stories where we drop the ball and, and we learn sometimes the most from those moments, and, and or see a leader and go I never want to be like that because you see how, how much they they leave a wake behind them of of, of pain. Um, any any moments that really stand out for you?
1: yeah I, I think um you know I was um, uh, probably around about 2000 2001 I set up my own uh, software company with a bunch of uh, Irish folks in, in 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 dublin we built that up above a, over a 10-year period and, and we were fortunate enough to be to be acquired uh, at the end of 2011 by by, by IBM and, and I think when I look back at my professional um uh, career uh, I think that's probably one of the major major highlights and it's a, a lot of people's dreams to you know um, start start up a company and and, and grow it and, um, and, and have it acquired by the big a big multinational and, and so it grow and prosper from 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 there and, and I think what I learned um, from from fellow leaders in in, in that organization um, was the um, creating an environment where um, People are comfortable and happy to give something a try, and, and to fail, and 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 um, and not be um, not be criticised, you know, not be not be punished, not be judged for that for that failure. Because for us, that was critical in in innovating and developing our our, our software. Is you, you you have to have the ability to. To fail and learn from that, and I see a lot of organisations, particularly these big corporates, that um, you know, fi- failure is not an option. Uh, if you do fail, they don't take the goodness out of that failure. It's it's always kind of a black a black mark against your, your your name and and and, and your performance. Um, so, I, I, in, in that experience, for me, i learned learned that, um, and, and hopefully, i demonstrate this as a as a leader myself that. Creating an environment where people feel comfortable enough to um, to fail, uh, feel comfortable enough to really step out and 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 do things that may not be always in someone's kind of swim lane. Um, and and and, and, and you know, as long as it's done in a, in a non-harmful constructive way um you know there are no repercussions for for, for doing so and just allowing people to to, to step up and, and and have a voice and and everyone's uh, everyone's important you know we we made a massive breakthrough in our company um because of uh, this this guy that we had in as a, as a contractor he was working one day a week he was kind of a lower level um, developer you know, churning out lines of code every, um, every every day, and and there was something that he said that if we hadn't have given him a voice, um, we wouldn't have gone on to do what we uh, what we would have done and, and be successful with the acquisition. So, um, having that environment yeah. where everyone has a voice, everyone has a say, and people feel comfortable enough to put their hand up and say, "Hey, I've got a point to make here," um, and not be judged. And um, even if you don't agree with that point, um, I think is 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 super important.
0: Yeah, that's um, that's that's well said. Uh, and on that note, I'd love to jump into Leadership Express and just ask you a bunch of questions, and and uh, it'll it'll lead to some more interesting conversation. You ready? Absolutely, let's do it, John. <laughs> okay, Terry. What is a book that you've gifted to other people?
1: Ooh. Um...
0: I really like a
1: book called Anti-Fragile um, by Nicholas Taleb. Taleb is, as an economist myself, I have a, a PhD uh, from Cambridge in, in economics and I'm, I'm a hard economist who I've never actually done it for work. i um, really interested in this book Anti-Fragile. So Taleb kind of, and he's a very controversial um, economist, um, he, he looks at how some systems thrive from shocks and volatility and uncertainty and we, we live in a world we live in a pandemic world right where there is massive uncertainty we don't necessarily always know what's going on day to day and you know a lot of people get you know they're, they're broken right um from from things that are volatile but he looks at actually instead of breaking from volatility how you to adapt um and 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 and, and you know, yourself to thrive in an uncertain and chaotic world. And there's there's no um there's no antonym to, to, to fragile. So he he came up with this this concept of anti-fragile and actually taking that fragility, taking that chaos and thriving from it rather than actually um, struggling with it.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic. Great, great recommendation, anti-fragile. Uh what's a recent leadership lesson you've learned for the first time or been reminded of?
1: Um, I learned because I had, a, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I had a, had a, a bad day at the office. Um, I just just wasn't in the best of the best of moods, and it, it made me uh, remember that, you know, as a leader, you set the tone for your organization. And if you're a normally, you know, normally an upbeat person, which which I am, I, I, I like to think I'm a high energy, upbeat kind of person. If I'm having an off day. Other people see that and, and, and their tone and, 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 and their motivation can be affected by whether you're having a good day or a bad day. So I, I was reminded of the fact that others are always watching and are influenced by my mood. So I need to remember and, and, and project the right mood, uh, even if I'm having uh, an off day.
0: Yeah, that's that's great advice. Um, what's a time management or productivity tip or a tool or resource you use in that space? Right, uh, that's an interesting one. I, I, I like to. Um, I think a lot of
1: people, and and I, I, I had a habit of this as well, Jono, is you get into that, you know, I'm going to fill my calendar, and I've got one meeting to the next meeting to the next meeting to the next, and it makes us feel all very important and you know this organization can't tick without me because look look how full my calendar is but you kind of i don't think we're doing ourselves any favors by that and um i like to put um blank spaces uh in between meetings um of, of 30 minutes 60 minutes 90 minutes and and i just have that as um thinking time so you can you know hmm. you come off a call you come out of a meeting you've got a little bit of time to reflect, unpack what had just happened, maybe do a little bit of follow-up, just have a little bit of space, and then start to mentally prepare for the next activity you've got in your schedule. So I think for me, having that thinking time as a a physical entry in my calendar, um, number one, stops people from putting meetings over the top of that, and number two, just gives me that thinking time to really be be a little bit more effective, rather than getting on a hamster wheel of meeting to meeting to meeting.
0: Yeah, I really like that thinking time in the calendar. Great advice. Uh, what is a great piece of advice you've received at some point in life or leadership where someone gave you advice and it, it really stuck with you? Well, John, I'm,
1: I don't think I'm allowed to swear on your podcast, so let me let me um, <laughs> tone it down a little bit. But it was an, an, an old an old actually, I, I, I was fortunate enough a long time ago to work um, doing some work in the British government and I, and I had a direct line to, to Tony, Tony Blair. Um, and, and I have to say, you know, we can, we can say what we want about weapons of mass destruction. Um, but, but, you know, he, he, he did a lot in terms of um, you know, Northern Ireland and, and the peace tree in, in Northern mm. Ireland. And, and as a leader, he did a lot of interesting things, enough to pick up some really good tips. But he, he, he said something to me one day. He said, "Terry, you're doing a great job. Don't f it up." And I think that's probably the best advice I've ever
0: had. <laughs> oh, that's a keeper. That's a that's a great story. There's uh, that's good advice, isn't it? <laughs> good advice. You're doing a great
1: job. Don't mess it up.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. He, you know, that's um, and there's something that I think leaders can learn from that as well. That uh, you know, you, there is a time for being. For being candid and, and 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 high performers and and great people actually appreciate um and take that th- sort of thing on board so <laughs> thank you for sharing that yeah and, and,
1: and also kind of not to overthink
0: or or maybe make leadership too scientific it's mm.
1: you're doing really well just keep doing what you do
0: yeah that's good uh what's a big struggle or problem that you see leaders in healthcare facing
1: Yeah, it's um, I think digital transformation and digital disruption is a big one, John, in in health and medical research. I think again, you know, to an earlier point, we're probably one of the last industries to go through digital transformation in in a, in a significant way that we've seen with retail and banking and financial services, entertainment, um, and and I think you know for frontline healthcare leaders. The ability to do what they do and you know run a hospital network, uh, run a GP practice, um, be a CEO of a a medical research institute, you know whatever that leadership position is, this tsunami of digital technology that's coming at them, Mm. you know the the ability to handle that digital transformation and and give them the tools that not only they'll need but their workforce will need. You know I I made a prediction recently that in ten years' time. Every single job that we do in Australia, in whatever industry, will be impacted by artificial intelligence in, in a small way or a big way. Mm. And and I think that um, partnership between what we do as humans and as leaders and, and what the technology can do for us and taking advantage of that technology is we're going to have to raise the digital literacy of our teams and our workforce to to handle that and, and actually to get the benefits out of that technology. So I think a big a big challenge at the moment is you know is 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 getting on board with that digital transformation, raising your own game, and then how do you raise the game of, of your organisation?
0: Yeah, that's um, they're great thoughts, um, and and definitely can see why that's a why that's a challenge in in the industry. Uh, a movie or TV show that really impacted you?
1: Oh, interesting. So many, so many. I watch a, watch a fair bit of TV and movies. That's kind of my, my downtime, and my de-stress uh, activity is just to throw something on. Sometimes it's quite mindless. Sometimes it's <laughs> quite meaningful. I, I think there's probably a couple of movies that stand out for me for different reasons. I think mm. the first one is Fargo. Um, I think the Coen brothers are, are absolute geniuses. I think their their kind of you know their dark comedy um, is is really is really good, and they've made some amazing movies. Fargo stuck with me just because of the intricacies of the of the plot and the twists and turns, the 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 humour, and I think for me, you know, being able to laugh um, when you're in a very interesting and and, and often um, challenging um, a situation. The ability to potentially see the funny side of it or just have a little chuckle can, can, can often help. So Fargo, I think for that reason. The other one which I watch probably monthly, you know, I'm a lad from Newcastle in the northeast of England. I haven't lived there for over 20 years and now I'm living on the other side of the world and I'm a very proud Geordie. Um, and, and I was also fortunate enough to be involved in the um, consortium that recently uh, acquired Newcastle United in the English Premier League and oh, for wow. someone who couldn't afford, to buy a, couldn't afford to buy a ticket when I was a kid for the match. And yeah. now having a, a, a small and modest ownership is, 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 is outstanding. And the, the movie is, is Girl, um, uh, which is about a, a kid from Mexico that goes to the US, is a really good soccer player. Um, he, he gets spotted and, and gets a trial for Newcastle United. And the movie was was done in partnership with Newcastle United. So some of the real players, you know, Alan Shearer, were, were, were involved in the movie. You know, um, the actors run out onto the field when 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 there was a real game going on. You know, so very authentic uh, scenes uh, of, of of football, and it just reminds me of home, and it makes me kind of it reminds me of kind of where I've come from. And, And how
0: proud I am of what I'm from. Wow, that's that's a fantastic recommendation. And um, I I love following the Premier League. I um so I that's that's just made my day hearing that story about you growing up, you know, not being able to, or you know, struggling to afford a ticket and now being able to be part of that consortium buying Newcastle United. That's so cool. Um I I remember waking up at five am, you know, when I was, well, what was I probably around 8 or 9 or 10 or something around there and watching um Manchester United come back from one nil down to beat Bayern Munich in the final of the Champions League. Um, uh, I can't remember got how a soul shot, comes yeah, off the bench and scores. It that's and right. scores
1: the yeah, absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I remember it myself. Yeah, fantastic.
0: So, so as most people, you know, when you when you're watching your sort of your heroes at that age. So ever since then I've been following Manchester United um, like probably half the world, particularly Australians, so, you know, <laughs> around that time there wasn't too much um, over here. It was just one hour a week. We'd often get the highlights, or we'd get those games live. But yeah, that's uh, I, I love the Premier League. So incredible to hear that story from you, Terry. Oh, fantastic. Although not uh, not the best times recently for Manchester United, but. Look, it, re- it really isn't. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> not, uh, not doing so well at the moment. Fascinating from a leadership perspective, though. Have you seen, um, uh, as, a, as a football fan, have you read uh, Sir Alex Ferguson's book about leadership? I
1: uh-huh. have, yeah. yeah. Very interesting, right? Because he, he can, at least as an onlooker, um, can be very uh, certainly thought of as very very intimidating. Um, certainly, um, you, you, you're not left guessing what's on his what's on That's his mind. <laughs> But um, you know, in, in, in as, as you may recall, you know the first two or three years when he took over Manchester United, in this day and age, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have been in the job because yes. um, the, it took that amount of time for him to be effective. Um, mm. People just have a short attention span there with football managers. But um, yeah, really interesting to uh, that, that's that is actually probably one of the the books that uh, that I found particularly interesting from it. That's someone that I think you, you've got a very very different leadership style to me, mm. um, but but still took it took a few things away from. Him.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I feel similarly. I, one thing that stood out to me from that book was how he he talked about the big aha moment he had when he realised he needed to get off the pitch and actually sit in the stands. At training and and stop being next to the players and like not that he never then was was on the field but actually just change his view as a leader to be able to sit back and empower others to do the actual coaching and have a view and perspective of where each player was rather than being next to them and maybe missing some things actually having that view and just some of the ways he delegated and empowered and uh, and wouldn't give people tips immediately before the game. That was another thing that I that really yeah. stuck with me. He wouldn't say, yeah. "Now, don't forget." Do that. He, he said, "If I haven't prepared them during the week, then nothing I say now can matter. If anything, it will just actually put pressure on them or throw them off." So he would always go really hard at preparing during the week, but then on the day, sort of not, you know, just say, "You know, go and do it. Do your best. You'll be great." And uh, I, I took yeah. a lot out of that as a uh, just going, "Wow, that's that's." They're just really interesting thoughts that uh, uh, from someone who had a lot of success, and obviously the proofs in the in the pudding in terms of what he was able to do as a leader. But they were just, yeah, uh, interesting sort of thoughts on leadership.
1: Jonah, there's one there's one
0: quote that that
1: really stuck with me out of out of that book, and it was a little while ago, and I read it, and it, it still stuck with me, and and I think kind of sums up my my style um as a as a leader is um he 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 said i've never played for a draw in my life Mm. he never played for a draw he always went for the win and i I think that's that i like to think that's my um my style um in 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 the business world is don't go out there and play for a draw um a lot of people play it safe right a lot of people play it safe path of least resistance um, I'm, I'm not going to make a, a decision that's controversial. I'm not going to. I'm not going to make a decision that's going to piss anyone off. I've got to keep every single person happy. Um, yeah, you know, we can be better. Be better than that. You know, don't play for a draw. Go out for a win. And if you get a draw, fine. But don't go out with your with the intention of playing ten defenders um, and, and 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 playing it safe. You know, go go yes. for the win. Otherwise, you know, what's the point?
0: And you never know what can happen at the last minute, right? They definitely definitely learned that from. <laughs> the number of goals was staggering exactly. in that because they would always be pushing for that final, uh, final goal. And I think that's a great leadership lesson too. You know, even just to just to keep going. And um, I was chatting with someone else on the podcast about this idea of. Uh, the set that I saw, I think it was in a book called Culture Code. The Culture Code about the San Antonio Spurs and how they had this sign up on their on their, um, you know, in their training room and in the locker room saying "Pound the Rock." You never know, you know, you 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 hit it ten times, twenty times, a hundred times, a hundred first time it breaks, but it only breaks because yeah. of the first hundred yeah. times. And um, I, I think you know, you just you just keep going because you never know which decision which initiative which project which you know team investment you make is going to just make that difference where you hit a tipping point where you, you really see that breakthrough
1: yeah that's a, that's a great point john
0: okay last question if you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader what would you say
1: Whoa, um i'd probably say this to myself as well on a couple of jobs that i've had in the past but um don't do, don't do a job you don't like. Lots of people, are, uh, it seems lots of people are in jobs that they just really don't like. Um, mm. And maybe they don't like it because it's just not a fit for who they are. And I've got, um, w- when we had our own software company in, in, in Ireland, we had a very high, uh, a very low attrition rate, um, very, very high retention of, of, of top, top talent. And, you know, it, it, it didn't matter who in the organisation was interviewing someone for a new job in our company, and um, you know one of the points we always made was um, you're not applying for a job, you're applying for a lifestyle, and, and and that that didn't mean that your job is your life and the work life balances were going to be right, far from it, but you know we we want we want you to come into the organisation and do this job because it fits who you are as a person yeah. and you don't see it as a job you see it as an extension of your lifestyle and, and i and i i've tried to to do that in my life with my roles that if, if i'm coming into a role it's it's um, i'm going to treat it as part of my part of my lifestyle um, and, and not as a job and, and too many of us i think are in jobs um, so I, I think you know um, ensure what what you do for work aligns with who you are as as, as, as a person and, and i think that way number one you're probably going to be better at it and, and be more successful and and, and number two you're going to enjoy it a little bit more and have a little bit more fun right um yeah now, um, yeah and and, and, th- and then i guess the other thing is back to that point about the the aliens coming down you know um I get I get more enjoyment out of being a leader than a manager. I'm a crap manager, John. I'm terrible. Um, that kind of day-to-day operational, um, you know, task. Here's a list of things that I need to do today. Tick, 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 tick. I've never been good at that. I'm rubbish at that. Um, but 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 I like to think I'm a much better leader than I am a manager. And you need you need you need both. And and that's why in my organisation. Um, I brought in some people who are very, very good at, at managing to allow me to focus on the, on the leadership side. So, you know, if, if you're that way inclined, be be, be a leader, not a manager.
0: Yeah, brilliant, great, great advice. Uh, I just love that. Where can people find you? Where can people find you online if um, you know if they're interested in connecting LinkedIn, etc., or if they want to find out more about your organization? Where can people connect with you?
1: Thanks so much, uh, John. In, in terms of our organisation, um, we're at uh, DHCRC.com, that's Digital Health Cooperative Research Centre, dhcoc.com. You'll be able to see what's kind of going on with our projects and, and things we get involved in. I think in terms of, in terms of me personally, uh, I use Twitter a lot, and I'm at Dr Terry Sweeney, um, and, um, and, and LinkedIn uh, as, as, as Terry Sweeney as well um tend to push out and engage a lot with people on, on both LinkedIn and uh, and Twitter and uh, tend to keep the Instagram and the Facebook just for uh, friends and family.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Great. Uh, well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. This has been a, a joy uh, of a podcast. I know it would have helped a lot of people and uh, been very thought-provoking uh, for our listeners. Don't forget I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast where I give you tips on casting vision and building teams, etc., and leadership question of the day where I put a stone in your shoe with a different question every day to challenge you as a leader. Uh, but I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to Terry from Aliens Coming to Earth to the Commonwealth Games to Tony Blair giving you some great advice. Um, <laughs> It's uh, it's honestly been um, been so much fun, and uh, I've lo- I've loved hearing your story, but also the principles at play in your story. I think will will encourage and inspire and help a lot of a lot of listeners. So thank you for being so generous with your time, Terry.
1: Jonathan thank you. Really appreciate you having me on, and 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 keep up all of the great work that you do because I listen to your podcast, and it's absolutely fantastic, and I, I I learn things a lot. So. I would encourage anyone and everyone to uh, to tune in and, and, and listen to your podcast. So, so thank you for what you do.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles in different industries answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership.